This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Welcome back to CC&G, the pot of gold at the end of the podcast rainbow. And we'll start off with, oh my God, yes, yes, yet another personal in the trenches story. This is a long one, I'm warning you, so you may want to grab a drink, or perhaps even a six pack. Here we go. The year was 2000, the month was June, and the mobile media industry, today's leading driver of just about everything, well... Mobile was not merely in its infancy back then, it was in its pre-embryonic stage. In fact, it wasn't even called mobile then. The industry term was wireless. So as president of a mobile startup called Airborne Entertainment, I was trying to make heads or tails as per what wireless was and where it could go. So I attended as many industry conferences as I could, wherever they may be. And in June 2000, the conference was in Los Angeles at the glittering Beverly Hilton Hotel, home of the Golden Globes Award Ceremony and of way too many sordid tales of showbiz excess to recount here. As a company with limited funds, Airborne had to find a way to make noise and bring attention to ourselves at these events without the deep pockets of our VC-backed startup competition. They had money to burn and did so by throwing opulent parties, giving out lavish swag, and sponsoring the events and the sessions themselves. This not only brought name recognition, but guaranteed them the prestige of prime speaking spots in front of the assembled horde. These industry events were no meritocracy. You got on stage and got to pump your company and message depending on how much money you stuffed into the pockets of the conference organizers. Big bucks got you opening, midday, or closing keynotes. Smaller bucks got you a spot on a breakout panel, or something equally less inspiring. Even the act of giving stuff away costs money. To distribute swag or company literature, you had to buy a display booth or become what was called a promotional partner. Well, as the littlest of little fish, we had enough cash for a mere fraction of the aforementioned, but the ambition for all of it. We knew that there were going to be about 300 people at said conference, and immediately got to thinking, okay, what can we make 300 copies of, but do so cheaply and make an oversized impact at this conference? In a creative spark storm, yes, longtime listeners will realize that I walk my talk, in this spark storm, we realized that while a handful of insiders, maybe half the conference people, while they believed in the wireless future, the other attendees, the general populace, and especially the big brands were still closed-minded skeptical. Remember, this was seven years away from the launch of the iPhone. So when someone on our team quipped, huh, people have to be converted to wireless, the light bulb popped. We would come up with a wireless conversion kit. We knew that we had to keep expenses low, so we found the ultimate and most obvious tool to quote-unquote go wireless. A wire cutter. We could buy them in bulk for 79 cents each, but the genius was in the way we packaged them. We had a writer named Mark Shane Bloom on staff. 
He was a wondrously geeky guy whose experience lay in comic books, science fiction, and superhero creation. And after a few hilarious drafts from him, our simple wire cutters were attached to a colorful piece of laminated cardboard to become the Convertix 3.3 Wireless Conversion Utility. The hyped-up sales copy on the package shouted, Convert entertainment to wireless in a snap! On top of that, Mark added extra tongue-in-cheek sales points like, Perfect for cutting your ties to old media models. Helpful for convincing others to convert, especially when applied to fleshy areas. In cost, in effect, in message, they were perfect in every way. I couldn't wait to use them. As an aside, what's amazing is that I flew to Los Angeles with 300 of these wire cutters in two small rolling suitcases, which I actually carried on the plane. Remember, this was pre-9-11. Anyway, come the day of the conference, I walk into the Beverly Hilton with a pair of heavy, stuffed rolling bags. I was staying elsewhere because we couldn't afford the exorbitant rates at the Beverly Hilton. I attended the major morning ballroom sessions, and when everyone broke to eat lunch prior to the big midday keynote, I snuck into the now empty ballroom and put a Convertix 3.3 wireless conversion utility on every single seat. When the programming reconvened, I was one of the first in the room and watched with glee as the attendees filed in, picked the wire cutters off their seats, and examined them. They were a bit bewildered at first, but then broke into big smiles as they kept reading. Better still, most of them turned to their neighbors to discuss the gimmick and, I would hope, the company that was behind it. As I was plotting my next move, i.e. who do I approach and how do I conjure up some business for Airborne, as I was plotting, I felt a hand on my shoulder. There was a short woman with a wire cutter in her hand who asked innocently, are you the person responsible for this? Wow, mission accomplished, and, and so quickly, I beamed with excitement and answered with a proud, yes, 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 indeed I am. And with that, I felt my past being unceremoniously ripped from my neck. You have to leave, she snarled. You're not allowed to do this. Our sponsors are going nuts. Get out of here now. Well, I thought of hightailing it back home, but the trip was already paid for. I was far away in LA. I didn't want to give up that easily. So I decided to hang around and make the most of the situation. I would sneak into the lesser attended and security weaker panel sessions where any person in the room is a welcome one, pass or no pass. And in between these sessions, when I was more likely to be spotted by that woman again, I would slither through the corridors and hide in one of the hotel bathrooms. She could kick me out of her conference, but not out of the Beverly Hilton itself. En route to one such bathroom escape, I was stopped by a tall, well-dressed man. Hey, are you the guy responsible for the wire cutters, he asked me. I didn't know if he was hotel security or some other unfriendly foe, but I answered, yes, anyway. I love them, he exploded. <coughs> Turns out he was a Disney executive named Trip Wood looking to bring his company into this new wireless world. I think they're great, he enthused. In fact, I'd like to set up a meeting with you and see how we can work together. I was at his office the next day, and the glorious end result was a contract to create a mobile game, albeit a primitive one, for the film Monsters, Inc. That meeting with Tripp spawned a five-year professional relationship between Airborne and Disney, and a friendship that lasts until this day. But most important of all, six weeks later in New York, 
when I went door to door, meeting to meeting, pitching the new world of wireless to companies like HBO, A&E, Maxim Magazine, the Food Network, and the NHL, they all said, holy shit, you're working with Disney? It gave us instant credibility and helped build Airborne as a mobile media pioneer. So yes, I guess as the song goes, some guys have all the luck. But how to get lucky is what's important, especially in a business context. And after this lengthy diatribe, that's what this episode of CCG is all about. Finally, it's a simple lesson, but one that's counterintuitive on multiple levels. Let's start, obviously, with an article from my corporate crush, The Wall Street Journal. It was written by Biff Matthews. I know that sounds like some sort of 80s sitcom character, but he's actually the chairman of Longview Asset Management. And in his article, he positions the act of investing along the ability-slash-luck spectrum. He cites the book The Success Equation by Michael Maubusin, which examines the results of over 1,400 mutual funds between two successive three-year periods and ultimately concludes that Success in investing, measured over a three-year period, is an activity that is about 85% luck and only 15% skill. He goes on to say that in every aspect of life, luck is a far more important and uncontrollable force than people realize. Wise words, and perhaps not easy for future masters of the universe to accept, but the hand of fate is, at the very least, as strong as your own too. But more on that next episode. Let's continue this one with a one-question pop quiz. Proactive or reactive, what's better? Let me explain with, you won't believe it, yes, another personal story. As mentioned in the last episode, I was a hockey goalie for 20 years. On the surface, goaltending seems like a reactive position because players shoot at you and your job is to basically stop the puck. But in all actuality, it is extremely proactive, almost like computer programming. Elite goalies are taught to anticipate plays, like if player X is here, player Y is there, and the puck is there, you do this. But once I changed position to play forward, I realized how different it was. No matter how hard I tried, proactivity would take a back seat to reactivity. Pucks bounce oddly. Players on the other team don't do what you want them to do. Geez, players on your own team don't do what you want them to do. The result is an almost entirely in-the-moment flow, where your previous experience mixes with your reaction time to create the next play. So if hockey can be a metaphor for business, no wonder renowned Belfast-born economist W. Bright Arthur said, We should focus on the ability to react to events, rather than relying on the ability to predict them. And within that sentence lurks the secret of luck, namely the act of improvisation. Ah, improvisation. Like love, it's another term not commonly used in the corporate world a world all about quarterly projections, five-year plans, and where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Not everyone shies away from improvisation, though. Bob Culhan is a professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. He teaches improv to students and executives and is the author of the book Getting to Yes and. For those of you not versed in the art of improvisation, yes and is the root strategy to all improv. But I digress. Colhan insists that in business, Improvisation is about reacting, being focused and present in the moment, 
at a very high level. We live in a time of constant change and uncertainty. The ability to react is necessary to finding solutions that fulfill the demands of the marketplace. Author Maria Brito agrees. In her book, How Creativity Rules the World, she says, Improvisation isn't a substitute for planning, but rather, an instrument to be used in situations that catch us off guard, or when our strategies haven't prepared us for an unforeseen circumstance. The paradox of improvisation is that the more prepared and competent you are, the more creative and unpredictable you can be. The greater your preparation, the easier it is to relinquish control. And that's the counterintuitive element I referenced earlier. Improvisation is far, far from just winging it. The strongest improviser in the world, say the late Robin Williams or any member of the famed Second City troupe, studied, prepared, and filled their brains with a plethora of references in order to deal with the unexpected in their onstage performances. Another great example is that of beloved chef Julia Child. One time on the David Letterman show, she tried to cook her recipe of gourmet hamburgers, but the burners wouldn't work and the meat remained stubbornly raw. Unfazed, Ms. Child didn't panic or lose focus. She just repurposed the burgers as steak tartare on live TV. Check it out for yourself. It's really cool. Search YouTube for Julia Child turns a meat mistake into a gourmet meal for some divine inspiration. And, and what a great segue, because many times luck arrives like a goodie package from up above. All you have to do is actually recognize it as one, because initially it arrives as a disaster. That's easier said than done when things seem to fall apart, but here are three examples of those who unwrap the gift of destiny. Yale chemistry professor Michael McBride has said, scientists don't have eureka flashes, rather they experience my, that's strange moments. Such is the story of Alexander Fleming and his discovery of penicillin. Dr. Fleming was notorious for keeping a, well, shall we say, a messy lab. Before taking off on a month's vacation in August 1928, he stacked a set of dirty, bacteria-filled Petri dishes and left them to, well, he left them to, ooh. When he returned, he saw bacteria growing in every dish except one. This was his, my, that's strange moment. He wondered what could be killing the bacteria in that one dish. He soon learned that while he was away, spores of, let me see if I get this right, spores of Penicillium notatum had blown in by accident from a neighboring lab and had landed in that top dish. Dr. Fleming figured that perhaps this mold held therapeutic powers and experimented to see what they could be. From this lucky and kind of gross break emerged the miracle drug of penicillin and the era of antibiotics. Less medically important, but equally as gross, is the story of the origin of oyster sauce, featuring Lee Kum Shade. This salty condiment is now a staple in millions of homes, but back in 1888, when Lee was a 26-year-old street food vendor in Hong Kong, he left a pot of oyster soup to simmer for too long. The result was a brown, sticky mess. But before he threw it out, Lee tasted it, and to his surprise, he found that it was delicious. So he began making the burnt oyster sauce deliberately and selling it in ceramic jars under the Lee Kum Kee brand. His brilliant mistake would make his family richer than he could have ever imagined. In July of 2021, when Lee's grandson, Lee Man Tat, died at age 91, the family's wealth was valued at more than $17 billion. 
$17 billion? Oh, hold on for a minute. Let me see what I got festering on the stovetop. Finally, we have the story of the Roomba vacuum cleaner, invented by a guy whose name sounds like an alias for someone on a witness protection program, namely Joe Jones. His floor cleaning robot hit the market in time for the 2002 holidays and was so beloved that even cats liked them. Yet by 2004, the initial hoopla had faded a bit and sales were lagging big time. What did Joe do to turn things around? Nothing. The Roomba worked its way out of trouble by some astounding serendipity. The soft drink Pepsi began running a 30-second advertising campaign in which a generic, unbranded robot vacuum chases a can of soda and devours comedian Dave Chappelle's pets. Guess what happened next? Roomba sales immediately surged. It was the best money Roomba never spent. Without the Pepsi commercial, Jones said, Roomba might have died. Good thing it didn't, because Amazon paid $1.7 billion for the company in August of 2022. Speaking about luck, yours is about to change as this episode is coming to an end. You can take that any way you like. I mentioned earlier that luck is uncontrollable, but in his book, The Drunkard's Walk, physicist and author Leonard Lodenow exposes the one important factor in luck that is under our control, and that is, as he puts it, the number of at-bats, the number of chances taken, the number of opportunities seized. Even a coin weighted for failure will sometimes land on success. Or as IBM pioneer Thomas Watson said, if you want to get lucky, double your failure rate. Uh, good luck. Before I go, if you've dug what you heard or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know I should not, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So until next episode, uh, CCNG you later. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.